Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for week seven in college football. Just an outstanding slate of games. And to do that, we've got a trio of guests. Number one, we've got Mr. Relevant, Mike Renner from PFF. He's going to stop by, talk about some of his favorite players, who he had the Eagles selecting in his latest mock draft, and guys he's excited to see down the stretch here in the second half of the college football season. Saturday scouting is next up. Ben Fennell and I going through the top matchups to watch in this weekend slate of college football. We wrap it up with pick six. Ross Tucker and I continue our head-to-head pick segment. We'll see if Ross gained any ground on me in this last week of games. We also have a question here in Draft Mailbag in the back end of the show. And if you ever have a question, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. Leave us a question there in the comment section. We will answer it here in an upcoming show. We've got a good one here. Uh, it's an Eagles-related one. So if you're an Eagles fan listening, make sure you stick around for the Draft Mailbag segment. And if you've got a mock draft that you've filled out recently, uh, you want player rankings, whatever it is you're looking for, you can leave Leave it there on the Apple Podcast page, and we will get to it here in an upcoming show. That said, let's kick things off here with PFF's Mike Renner. It's time for Mr. Relevant. We're excited to welcome back to the show here for Mr. Relevant, a guy who's been on numerous times. That's Mike Renner, the lead NFL draft analyst over at Pro Football Focus. You can follow him at PFF underscore Mike on Twitter. Mike, welcome back to the show, my man. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk some prospects here. I haven't gotten to to that much this season so far. I know. I'm excited uh, to to bring you on. We broke down your mock draft, your first mock draft, a couple of weeks ago here on the show, Ben and I, uh, in our mock draft roundup segment. And uh, in that mock draft, I wanted to ask you, just for for our Eagles fan listeners, you had them taking Notre Dame pass rusher Isaiah Foskey and Penn State corner Joey Porter Jr. So I want to ask of those two guys, who was like the bigger slam dunk uh, in your mind and why? Which of those two guys was like, oh, yeah, this is this is a great situation for this player? To, to me, it was Foskey, right? It's, that's that one to me. Like uh, the, the cornerback pick Porter, like was a, you know, the, the Darius Slate contract situation may be something that they have to address because obviously his cap hits ballooning next season. But Foskey just like feels like an Eagles defensive lineman. He feels like the transition plan from Brandon Graham uh, you know, on that edge, that pocket pusher, that guy who's just going to set a hard edge that you can rely on to consistently collapse pockets. And you put him alongside, you know, the other guys they have there now, the guy like Jordan Davis on the interior, and you're just going to have quarterbacks feeling, feeling the heat consistently. So that's one that, you know, obviously with Howie Roseman's draft track record, prioritizing that position, I do think that was more of a slam dunk. To me, it was like such a breath of fresh air reading your mock draft from that standpoint because one of the themes that we've noticed reading mock drafts lately is like the Eagles, because of their success, it's been like two, you know, quote unquote luxury picks. That's been like the the buzz term. It's like, oh, well, this is going to be the the uh, the safe landing for you know Noah Sewell or for Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs. It's like, oh. all right, linebacker, running back. That's where the, that, that's where they're going to fall because it's a luxury pick. Um, but as you said, that that does not mesh uh, with the draft record. No, I, I don't think there's any Howie Roseman, even the term luxury picks, even in his vocabulary, right. you know, he's going to prioritize highly paid positions so that when free agency comes around, he can maybe say, you know, maybe I don't have to pay this guy, but you know, maybe I don't have to pay a bunch of money for it. I got guys in tow that are good uh, on rookie contracts. So yeah, it's, 
they're not going to draft a linebacker anytime soon. They're not going to draft a running back anytime soon in the first round. All right, let's get into uh, some players that are on the field this season and what they've done so far. Who's a player that you feel has helped himself the most with the, what he's put on film over the course of 2022? So like the low-hanging fruit would obviously be someone who didn't even play you know, in years past and then has obviously jumped up into the first, second-round conversation. Sure. Someone like Olu Fashanu, the left tackle for Penn State. I think he's been tremendous this season in pass protection. Um, to to do that, you know, in his very first year as a starter, taking over from Rasheed Walker as a redshirt sophomore, yeah. like I think he's in that conversation, especially in a weak tackle class. But I think someone who had played a lot, but then, you know, hadn't been kind of on radars, and then really shot up with his performance this year that I highlight is Keandre Coburn mm. from Texas. I mean, his tape against Alabama is about as dominant a DT tape as you'll see over the course. Of, you know, there's not a lot of DTs in the last 15 years in the Nick Saban era that have done that to an Alabama offensive line. You know, they're just the guys that have done it go in the first or second round. So to me, Keandre Coburn, like a 340 pound nose tackle who can also push the pocket and rush the passer. uh, At least he's shown at a high level this year at Texas. Like that's a guy who a lot of teams want nowadays with the rise of needing these defensive tackles to be able to stop the run first. And then having that luxury of pressure from the interior, is just something everyone wants. Uh, that's what, exactly what my follow up was going to be on Co- Coburn. Was I didn't study? I haven't studied anything from this year yet, and I think the only tapes I've done were actually from 2020. I think I did him last summer, going into uh, the 2021 season, and I didn't see a lot of like juice getting after the quarterback. It was an old regime um, from a defensive schematic standpoint. But are, are we seeing more of that now? His ability to push the pocket. Yeah, honestly, he looked like a different player. I, I don't know nice. what happened. Maybe he got you know dedicated over the course of the off season or something, but. From I had watched tape previously too, and was not enthused by you know any of the prospects on this Texas defense, to be honest. And all of a sudden, you know, through whatever five weeks, six weeks this year, what I've seen from him, it just looks night and day. Like he he very well could end up. I, I don't know about first rounder. I did put him in the first round of my mock draft, yep. just because nose tackles are, you know, such a, I guess, limited position. How many snaps are going to play? But I do think he's firmly in the day two conversation after being like a fringe draftable guy heading in this year. All right, so now looking at at the first half of the college football season and you kind of project forward now, who's a guy that you're most excited to see in the second half? Maybe they didn't play, maybe they were banged up or just kind of a slow start, but gearing up for a strong stretch run. Yeah, the one, it's, to me, Brian Brzee, the Clemson defensive tackle, obviously had uh, his sister die, passed away tragically, and that's why he missed has missed time here of late. But when he has played in the three games he did play early on, he looked, you know, he looked like a guy who could challenge Jalen Carter for DT1, like realistically. And obviously, you know, he was number one overall recruit. Like that was the expectation from him. But we hadn't really seen it through two years. Hadn't seen him live up to that. And he was also coming back from an ACL. So coming now back from the ACL, so far removed now from that. Also, you know, with the physical talent that he brings to the table, I, I'm just excited to see what, you know, down the stretch can look like for him, especially if Clemson gets to the playoffs gets to some higher level competition, you know, some bigger games. And if he puts on a show, I mean, like I said, he could jump into that top five mix. So we're sitting here second week of October. It's very, very early, but is there a player where you're looking at it and saying, all right, this this is a guy that, uh, you know, projecting forward into April could really surprise us and be uh, kind of a a shock that would go in the top 20, top 25 of next April's draft. Do you feel like, yeah, we're not talking about this guy right now, but that could be the ceiling. Uh, I don't know if, uh, there's two guys I'll say. One okay. is I, I think Tyree Wilson is like in the top 20. Mix. I don't know if he's a shock, the Texas Tech de- defensive end. Yep. I I don't really know where people fall on him, but like 
I firmly believe he's going to go top 20 after what he's done this season. Wow. Um, and he could, he could be in the biggest rouser, risers conversation too, but like he's, he's a guy who I probably saw as a day two prospect heading this year. And now I, I think firmly will be first round. Cause he's six, six two seventy five with the 85 inch wingspan. And he's a freak of nature. Um, and what he brings to the table physically. But the other guy I'd say that has a chance that is very much like kind of an outlier at this point, be on the other side of the spectrum size wise is Kalijah Kansi, the mm. Pittsburgh defensive tackle, because he is one heck of an athlete yep. at the defensive tackle position, but he is, you know, six one, six two, two eighty. He is very undersized. And I, I don't know where he ends up in the NFL if he stays defensive tackle or if he even kicks out to the edge at that size. But I I kind of want this guy on my football team yeah. watching him play this year because he's so talented as a pass rusher. And he is one heck of an athlete in his own right. I mean, he was top 20, I believe, on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. They report him as running the four sixes there at Pittsburgh. So if he does that, I think you might see teams throw some size concerns out the window and say, this guy knows how to get after the passer. Um, wherever it is that he lines up, we're going to take a chance on a guy like that. I, I when I watched Kansi in the summer, like I agree with you wholeheartedly. I really loved watching his film, and I was like, man, like I just came away just really liking what he was putting on tape. But I just he's such an outlier from a size standpoint oh, on yeah. the interior. Like the only guy I could come up with that I was like, oh yeah, like okay, this guy at this size came in and stuck. It's not like I feel like everybody goes Grady Jarrett, Grady Jarrett. Like Grady Jarrett was bigger than Kansi. I yeah. ended up, I landed on Adam Butler, and Butler has been like a nice rotational piece, like for New England and now Miami, um, but not to the level. You're not saying, okay, we're going to take that in the top 50. And so uh, I'm really struggling. I haven't watched this fall yet, but what I saw in the summer, I really liked Kansi. Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's coming up with comps. It's yeah, who you said, and then like Aaron Donald. Yeah, you know, right, the other exactly. kind of outlier at that size. And it's like, well, he's not Aaron Donald. No one's Aaron Donald. But I do think he is touching that, you know, when the guy is undersized, yep. you better be an elite athlete. You know, yep. if you're going to get by, you better be an elite athlete. And at least he is that, you know, at least he is one of the best athletes in the defense tackle position uh, that we'll see coming out. So that's why I think someone might get a little intrigued. I, I don't know about top 20, yep. but I, I do think that there's, he'll have some fans at the end of the day. All right. Last question for you. It's one that I ask all of our guests uh, when it's as far as studying NFL draft prospects, who is a player that is just one of your guys? You, you like this player more than the consensus. Uh, who's the guy you're putting your stamp on? I couldn't settle on just one. I had to give <laughs> I had to give both these guys some love. Uh, the first one I'll say is uh, Alabama defensive back Brian Branch. Nice. I think he is just a football player, I, and I think the the game, the way the NFL is trending with like the two high safeties and safeties being asked to do a lot more in coverage. I think you want that at the safety position. You want the guy who can, and obviously he plays the slot at Alabama right now. So you want the guy who can come down and play the slot. The guy who can range on the back end and, and then the guy like who knows what he's seeing on the back end and also the guy who can come up and be a plus tackler and run support because you know when you're playing the two high stuff you are literally the last line of defense there's no other guy behind you you better make that tackle or it's going long and he only has missed one tackle all season so he's probably the best attacking defensive back in the country so big fan of his game honestly i think he's going to end up as safety one the pff draft board wow. uh, when it's all said and done um and the other guy i'll mention is tanner mckee sanford quarterback I, you just, he's not putting up the numbers that other guys are around college football, but he's never going to, you know, you have to, to put up numbers like Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, you have to have the receivers that Bryce Young and CJ Stroud have. And that's not what he's working with. But I, I do think like on a throw for throw basis, you know, evaluating his decision-making and his NFL readiness, I think he's right up there. I don't, I don't think he's too far behind guys like 
Young and Stroud in this draft class. I, I would go to bat for him as a first rounder at the moment and even could work his way into the top 10. Yeah, we talked about him last week with uh, Nate Tice. And just uh, there's a lot to like there with Tanner McKee. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated to see where he ends up going uh, if he does declare for this NFL draft. Real quick, just to follow up on Branch, uh, yeah. a lot of talk about this Alabama secondary. We talked about it last week with Ben is that you, know, you, you have him, you have Jordan Battle, uh, you have Helms in there, uh, you have Malachi also patrolling the middle of the field. Uh, you know, when you look at that secondary, how do you kind of view all these guys kind of uh, staking out? Because Jordan Battle is, is in like every single mock draft. You mentioned Brian Branch will probably finish as safety one for you guys. Uh, how do you view that, that that secondary? Obviously, a lot of youth at the corner spot. Yeah, it, it's an interesting mix, right? Because you got, they're all kind of – Malachi Moore is also kind of in that slot role, um, what he does for that defense. And then Battle is not like your typical – deep safety he's kind of more of a box guy i'd say you want him around the line of scrimmage but they don't then they don't play him a ton in that role yep so it's it's going to be interesting to sort out obviously you got to scout you know the player not the helmet it's going to be a definitely a exercise in that I, I i'm not as high as on battle as other people i don't i don't see him as probably a top 50 pick uh in this upcoming draft i think that's why he you know came back to school is because he probably yeah. got that evaluation from the nfl as well but he probably ends up as a top 100 pick and probably like a safer sort of box safety type of guy. And, you know, if you're running a cover three sort of defense still. Um, so uh, the other two more and Helms, I'm not as big on either. I, I do think they are talented, but again, like safety is also a position that just doesn't go high. So for me to be that high, that's why I'm so high on branch. Uh, like to say, you know, put them in the first round conversation is definitely going on a limb with how safety has been drafted. But I, I think those other two are probably closer to day three, whereas battles probably day two for me right now. Be sure to go check out Mike uh, on Twitter at PFF underscore Mike. Also, the new podcast uh, that launched recently, Talking Ball, uh, over with Pro Football Focus. Mike, thanks so much, man, for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon. For sure, Fran. Appreciate you having me on, man. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, time to now turn our attention to week seven in college football as I welcome in Ben Fennell to go through some of the top matchups here for the weekend, Ben. And, uh, dude, this is a fun slate. Uh, we talked yesterday on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. It's a great slate for NFL this week. College football, same thing. This is going to be a really fun football weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's five or six ranked first ranked matchups yep. and a lot of big-time games as we're getting into the thick of conference play and that contender-pretender time of year where all those darlings and Cinderella's that started hot suddenly you get into the thick of the schedule and you figure out who you really are or maybe you're cooking with gas and there's a lot of teams i think this week it's big litmus test i think it's going to be a up or down kind of point for a lot of these team seasons yeah well it's look this is the uh where they could be a kingmaker when you get into october and you start getting some of these big wins and we'll talk about that here in this segment but we'll start things off with our matchups to watch a one-on-one -on -one battle we are most excited to see this weekend you can kick it off well one of those rank first ranks early saturday noon fox penn State versus Michigan, number 10 Nittany Lions against number five Wolverines. Prospects on all sides of the ball there, but I'm looking at Ronnie Bell. Big game last week, Michigan receiver, 11 targets, or excuse me, 11 receptions for 121 yards last week against Indiana. Going to be seeing a lot of Joey Porter Jr., yeah. who's allowed one catch in the last three games. Bunch of games he's not even targeted anymore. So I know Michigan wants to get the ball to Ronnie Bell. Cornelius Johnson's been a little quiet this year. Seems like Ronnie Bell is really picking up steam and is developing a nice connection out there. So a little undersized, about six foot 190. 
but he's electric. They can get him in the, the ball in the quick game, and he can win down the field. So I want to see somebody in this Big Ten challenge Joey Porter Jr. before this Ohio State game. I, I don't know if he is this player, right? But Joey Porter Jr., stylistically, the way he plays, the way he's built – similar to a sauce Gardner in that mm-hmm. he can just com- completely erase a receiver. And you talk about how he just has not been targeted in the last few weeks. That that was the bill uh, on uh, on sauce all of last season. Yeah, that Penn State Ohio State game, by the way, that ST is two weeks away. So they have a Michigan game in, or excuse me, Michigan, then Minnesota, then that big Ohio State showdown against Marvin Harrison Jr. and folks. All right, well, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to stick at wide receiver versus corner, but I'm going to go out to the Big 12. 330 ABC, another ranked versus ranked. We got Oklahoma State against TCU. Braden Johnson, the leading receiver for the Cowboys here. Senior, missed most of last season with an ACL injury. I think he profiles as a nice possession threat in the NFL. He can line up inside and outside. Still some things to clean up from a route running standpoint, but going up against this TCU secondary, namely Travius Hodges Tomlinson, uh, LT, Ladanian Tomlinson's nephew. Uh, this guy is an undersized corner but he is really instinctive I love his play personality he's really really competitive he can play the ball in the air uh Travis Hodges Tomlinson I really like him at corner also Noah Daniels on the other side he's a, a tall long lanky uh corner injuries have been the, his bugaboo over the course of his career but to me it's it's Johnson and Hodges Tomlinson the two names to watch there uh in that battle in the passing game and Ohio and Oklahoma State's offense uh they have been moving the football really well and kind of mixed in with all that conversation don't sleep on Spencer Sanders yeah he's having a good year he makes a lot of big plays and he's a little clunky at times with consistency and just down to down you know accuracy and playing from the pocket but he has athleticism to escape has a really strong arm 6 one 215 or so so I think it's adequate quit size. So a lot of those passes coming into Braylon Johnson out there. Obviously, uh, Spencer Sanders getting them there. Yeah, Sanders making plays with his arm and his legs so far here in the 2022 season. Let's now go to the next matchup. Most to gain. A player who could really benefit from a strong performance this weekend. Who you got? Well, it's got to be Hendon Hooker against Alabama. Having a strong season off of another strong season from last year. But reflecting on this game against Alabama last season, Tennessee just did not show up to the party down the stretch and in the middle of the game. They were up 14-7, then six straight three and outs. So I want to see Hendon Hooker have a complete game here. They were 2 of 13 converting third downs. So I want to see him show up on what we call the big boy downs. The third and mediums, third and longs, the drop back situations where you maybe can't scheme your offense open and, you know, have those kind of aerated manufactured completions. When Nick Saban's out there playing two man on third down, you're getting press coverage, you got to make an accurate throw on time with Will Anderson bearing down on you. I mean, that's 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 the moment right there. That's big boy football. So um, obviously Cedric Tillman hasn't been as available for that team. He had a big 70 yard touchdown last year, but Hendon Hooker, all eyes on him. So uh, for me, I'm going to go back to the Big 12. I feel like I've focused a lot on the Big 12 the last couple of weeks. Um, I really like Xavier Hutchinson, the wide receiver from Iowa State. Uh, he was a guy who really caught my eye. He was one of my favorite senior receivers coming into the year. And this year, man, he has followed through. You want to hear something wild? He's had at least eight catches in every game this year. He has been funneled targets. The last two weeks, eight for 100 against Kansas State, 13 for 101 against Kansas. So, like, the big plays aren't necessarily there. Uh, He had three touchdowns back in the opener against Southeast Missouri, but has only reached the end zone twice since that point. Um, I think when you look at Xavier Hutchinson going up against this Texas defense and the the University of Texas, obviously a good opportunity for him here. He's had good uh, performances against the two ranked teams already on the schedule in Baylor and Kansas State. Uh, Iowa State has lost three in a row. It's a team that obviously is hurting with some turnover on both sides of the football coming back off last year. But I think when you look at Hutchinson, 
He's definitely a draftable prospect, and I think he's probably in that day two range, and the production speaks for itself. I caught a couple minutes of that Iowa State game, I think last week when I was doing some work in the truck for CBS, and they just threw him a quick little like perimeter hitch or kind of a smoke route with some off coverage, and he boogied for 15 yards instantly. I yep. did not see that type of instant acceleration and that type of burst from him in the past. So you get a lot of that off coverage quarters in the Big 12. You get room to operate. Xavier Hutchinson seems like he's rolling off the line of scrimmage. Excellent hands. Good size at 6'3", 215. Mm. Uh, really imposing presence with the speed element and productive. Checking a lot of boxes. All right, well, let's go to our next category here. Prospect after dark. A guy that's playing in a game uh, with an 8 o'clock start time or later that you want us to profile. I'll let you kick it off. Well, it's got to be USC, Utah. And that's Clark Phillips, corner, Utah, yeah, having a huge season against this vaunted USC receiver room. I don't even want to pick one receiver, just the whole room, the whole offense. But Clark Phillips, five picks the last three games. He's on. A, he's having a dominant stretch right now. Now, listen, last year against USC, they weren't afraid of him. I know it's a new quarterback, new regime, but targeted 13 times last year. As a freshman, allowed seven for seven and a touchdown. Never really had that signature performance against USC. Listen, when it's the Pac-12, USC's on the schedule. That's the show-up game. That's the game you want to show up for scouts and perform well. We all know the attention USC gets. Utah knows about that. Clark Phillips wants to lock down some of those big, overhyped receivers on the outside, whether it's Mario Williams or Jordan Addison or whoever's in that room for Lincoln Riley out there. But Clark Phillips, maybe not the size profile, but he plays really big and wants that ball. You and I watched him together this summer, and both of us just really liked him. The more, it was like the more we watched, the more we really liked what we and saw considering, from Phillips. considering, you know, what that Ohio state team is doing this year go put yep. on that rose bowl you know and he battled a lot of those nfl style prospect that receivers fumble he had in pursuit on the smith and jigba no question yeah, yeah. Uh, the love the way uh, that guy plays the game you know in this category every week it's like all right well obviously a lot of pac-12 teams a lot of the west coast teams are playing that, that late at night but there's always a, an east coast team or two that's put into that eight o'clock slot and last week i know we profiled the uh, alabama a&m game well, let's go take a trip down Tobacco Tobacco Road here for this one. Uh, Duke, North Carolina, they face off here on Saturday, 8 o'clock, ACC Network. Josh Downs from North Carolina as a guy that you and I also watched together uh, this summer, and we both really liked him. Undersized pass catcher, but this kid is electric. Uh, he worked a lot from the slot, but uh, he can line up anywhere and be a, kind of an Elijah Moore type of presence. Um, so for me, Josh Downs from North Carolina, uh, he is a player that you absolutely want to make sure you have eyes on uh, at the, over the course of the season. And um, I know he's been banged up in recent weeks, but uh, if he's able to go this week, he, he is worth the price of admission. He's a, a really fun player. Yeah, Duke's been playing some good football. I think they're 4-2 and two right now, kind of figuring out, are they contending? this year or they just kind of fallen off a cliff a couple good prospects on the defensive side too Dwayne Carter 6'3 300 pounds one of the leader in uh, QB pressures in the ACC for an interior guy as well so Dwayne Carter big number 90 in there on defense all right let's go to our next category this is a fun one our, we were call our shot predict a big game for a prospect this weekend uh, I will let you kick things off first last week here you talked about Michigan running back Blake Corm against Indiana he came through for you, man. 25 carries, 124 yards, and a touchdown uh, against the Hoosiers. Who do you have for us this week? Well, you set up the ACC, so we'll stick in that category because we have a rank versus ranked. That's NC State Syracuse, 5-1 and one, mm. NC State against 5-0 and oh, Syracuse. NC State ranked higher despite having that loss out there, the only loss coming to Clemson. Uh, was it last week, two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. But anyways, yep. I'm, I'm thinking a uh, big game for Sean Tucker. For nice. Syracuse, running back against NC State. Remember, Syracuse is on 14 days rest. 
Tucker just came off that huge 225-yard yeah. game against Wagner. They're 5-0. and This is a big matchup. NC State's got a lot of nice defenders. One of the best linebacking trios, I think, in college football out there, Drake Thomas and company, and then big Corey Durden up front. There's a lot of really interesting players on that front seven for NC State, but they allowed over 200 yards rushing against Florida State last week, 145 against Clemson. I just think Sean Tucker with the rest, with big uh, Matthew Bergen at left tackle out there, I think the Syracuse Orange steamrolls through NC State. Yeah, a player that I know you've been high on going back to the summer and his follow through. He's been very, very productive so far for the undefeated Orange. Um, for me, the last week I talked about Emory Jones, the Arizona State quarterback, transferred from Florida. I was expecting a big game against Washington. Well, Jones got hurt. But then, Ben, the backup came in and threw three touchdowns and the upset win. So I'm going to kind of take the win uh, for that. Obviously, it wasn't Emory Jones, but uh, I knew that that Washington secondary, a little bit suspect uh, at this point in the season with that new coaching regime. Um, For me, I'm going to go back to the Big Ten in this one. How about the senior quarterback for Purdue, Aiden O'Connell, throwing it all over the yard so far this season and and the Cornhuskers? Well, they've struggled to stop anybody. Obviously, they've got the, they already had the midseason coaching change. This game's set 7.30 on Big Ten Network. Uh, I like uh, Aiden O'Connell, Charlie Jones, the, the transfer receiver there coming from Iowa over to Purdue. He has been putting up stupid production over the course of the season. So uh, Aiden O'Connell, big day here, I think, against the Huskers. That's a good one. And one last game I just want to give some love to, the other rank versus rank, Mississippi State-Kentucky. Maybe not the SEC matchup you think of, you know, for your Saturday viewing pleasure, but 7.30 p.m. SEC Network. I think a big game for Tyrus Wheat. He's a defensive end for uh, Mississippi State. He is 6'2", 265, a little squatty, but absolutely rocked up. And that Kentucky Wildcats team is having tons of issues in pass protection. Will Levis always wants to hold the ball, taking some huge hits, a lot of sacks. I think Wheat has a couple signature plays this week. Oh, I like that. All right, so the bonus one in there uh, at the end. Wheat is a fun player. He's been on the the freak list a couple times over the course of his career. Impressive-looking kid. Yeah, Yeah, I believe it. Um, All right, let's go to our last category before we get to this mock draft, our comparison chat. Use an NFL comp to profile a prospect playing this weekend. And so, uh, real quick, Ben, for me – there was a lot of buzz about the transfers that Alabama brought in this summer. And one of those players was Louisville uh, wide receiver, Tyler Harrell. Well, he's been unable to play this season. He, I believe it was an ankle injury back in summer camp has not been able to go. They're thinking they're hoping because they thought initially, Oh, A&M might be it. He was a full participant in practice a week ago, getting ready for the A&M game did not participate. Didn't record a catch. I should say uh, this past week against the Aggies, but uh, we'll see if he's able to go here against Tennessee. When I studied him and all of his targets from, over the course of his career, he really reminded me of Quez Watkins when Watkins was coming mm. out of Southern Miss. I think they have a very similar build. Obviously, that speed is is world class. He's got the ability to take the top off. But in a lot of the areas that Quez Watkins needed to improve and has improved over the course of his career, I think you could say the same thing about Tyler Harrell. He's going to get some quality coaching there. So I'm excited to see the uh, the hopefully new and improved version of him here for the Crimson Tide. But Tyler Harrell, long, lanky, speed threat uh, that can line up inside, outside, a vertical player. Excited to see what kind of dimension he can add for Bryce Young this Alabama offense. Yeah, and keep in mind, Tyler Harrell has not played this season for no, Alabama. Exactly, so all, no snaps it? yet, but that's certainly the type of profile you're getting uh, from that receiver. So from an undersized receiver, let's go with an oversized corner. And Miami Hurricanes corner Tyreek Stevenson is an impressive-looking prospect, that six-foot, 215-pound corner. Transfer from Georgia, where immediately at Georgia as a true freshman in Kirby Smart's defense, played that hybrid nickel star role. 
So he was obviously very highly touted coming out of high school, five-star, started right away in a very intensive role. Didn't always look pretty in those two years at Georgia. It is not an easy position. The SEC, the master for a young kid, goes to Miami, goes back out to outside corner. But what is his profile? This is a barrel-chested corner. This is a thick corner through the core with long arms. You have a lower half bubble, very well built, but speedy and athletic. So you're thinking, like, is this like a Malcolm Jenkins coming out of Ohio State mm. or maybe the way Minka played corner? Yep. I think he's even more barrel-chested than those two. He's so thick. So it reminds me a lot of Jamal Dean coming yeah. out of Auburn, who is also a thick, physical corner yep. that ran 4-3 with long arms. And I think he's going to have a certain style and type, which the Bucks love those big physical corners out there, the Carlton Davis, the Sean Murphy Buntings. Uh, but Jamel Dean, I also wrote down James Bradbury, Justin Burris, who's since converted to safety since playing corner at NC State. Same thing with Bradbury, big, thick, physical corner that can run and play the ball. So Tyreek Stevenson is a type, but certain teams really covet that type. So uh, a lot of NFL comps to compare him to. I feel like Trayvon Diggs had like that really broad frame Absolutely, too. Absolutely, yeah. uh, It's like a, Diggs was, a, I think, a better corner. Now Diggs uh, is also that, pushing about 6'2", a little yeah, higher cut. Exactly, yeah. Had some body type and kinesiology kind of working against him, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Tyreek Stevenson, six foot, little squattier, but that thick physical frame as yeah. well. He's a, he's a really fascinating physical specimen, no question. All right, so our last one here, we're going to head on over to our mock draft roundup, where this week we went over to Pro Football Network and took a look at Oliver Hopkinson's latest mock draft. And uh, again, basically the, the goal here, let's look through the mock draft. Who do they have the Eagles picking? Who's going in the top five? And just general takeaways about uh, where people are talking about these players in the first round of next spring's NFL draft. And so the top five here in this mock from Oliver, Houston Texans at number one, taking Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud. Ohio State left tackle Paris Johnson at number two to the Chicago Bears. Number three, Seattle taking Alabama pass rusher Will Anderson. The Jets at number four, taking Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter. And then the Carolina Panthers at number five, taking Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. The Eagles, their first pick here in this mock draft. Number 12 overall, this is the pick from the New Orleans Saints. And Ben? Oliver has the the Eagles selecting Clemson defensive end Miles Murphy. Here is the blurb from Oliver. The city of brotherly love is feeling the love as the Philadelphia Eagles head into week five. The NFL season is the only unbeaten team in the country. It's a far cry from the offseason observations about whether Jalen Hurts could achieve success for this Eagles offense. And every 2023 NFL mock draft that you read had Philly reaching for a replacement. Hurts has been lights out during this early season spell. Of course, he's not doing it alone. And the league best turnover differential is fueled by an impressive defense. That said, they could seek to upgrade at edge next April, and there's not much better than Clemson monster Miles Murphy, a pivotal cog in one of the best college football defensive fronts. Murphy is practically unstoppable with a combination of size and strength that should see him make an immediate impact in the NFL. So, Ben, let me turn this over to you. As we sit here today, do you view Miles Murphy as a top 12 talent uh, in this class? We're sitting here mid-October. Yeah, I think he's going to be flirting right on that threshold that's probably going to be the, you know, all intents and purposes, the line, you know, right around 12 and a half maybe yep. uh, that they set it out in kind of Vegas, if you uh, humor me. But, you know, he's a really good player and just kind of projecting forward to this defense and to this scheme. I think he fits right into that Josh Sweat type of role. Mm. Not so much the Hassan Reddick or the Brandon Grahams, right. yep. you know, the ones that can maybe step out and zone drop and play in space as well, but also not one of the ones that I want sliding inside a whole a pure, lot. Pure, like, base defensive No end. question. I think he's going to set some physical edges on early 
early downs, be a productive pass rusher, but he's a three-down player that's a through-and-through 4-3 through defensive end. But if you are a team that wants to play with those different multiple looks, does that then hurt Murphy's chances coming here? Because you know Josh Sweat isn't going anywhere, and if you don't want to move Sweat inside, you don't want to kick him out, do you want somebody then that has a little bit more versatility? That's a good question, and whether you want to maybe – Ask him to do other things that could come at the expense of being productive or as a high-level player. Right. But he's a well-built kid at 6'4", 6'5", 265 pounds, maybe even 270 by this point. So he has the size profile to slide inside. I just think he's a true 4-3, three-down defensive end. All right, so here are the six players that went right in this area. Again, so you can get a sense of who else is being talked about in this area of the draft. At number nine overall, the Detroit Lions took quarterback Will Levis from Kentucky. At number 10, the New England Patriots taking Oregon linebacker Noah Sewell. At number 11, the New York Giants selecting selecting LSU wide receiver Kayshawn Boutte. Now the three that went after Miles Murphy. Arizona at number 13, taking South Carolina corner Cam Smith. The Jacksonville Jaguars taking wide receiver Quentin Johnson um, from TCU. This is maybe the highest I've seen Quentin Johnson go uh, in a mock draft, Ben. And not that it's not deserved because uh, he has been on a tear. And then at number 15, the Houston Texans selecting defensive lineman Brian Brezzi, who we talked about in the last segment with uh, with Mike Renner. So, uh, Ben, which of those six picks do you think is most likely to happen? Most likely to happen of those six and why? Probably go with Keyshawn Boutte Ooh, to like the New York yeah, Giants. They need weapons. I think that's a new regime in there. That entire receiver room could be hit, just could hit reset. Yeah. You know, after this season, I know people are looking at Kadarius Tony, and they just spent some capital on Wandell Robinson. So, you know, there might be some holdovers, but Sterling Shepard, obviously, just unfortunately went on IR, getting a little bit older. Obviously, Kenny Galladay hasn't been what they expected, but new regime completely. They need some weapons around Daniel Jones. So I think they've done some nice investments on the offensive line, but keep adding weapons around that quarterback. If you want to roll with Daniel Jones again, maybe find that. Stefan Diggs to kind of pair with him like he had out, like Dable had out in Buffalo to pair with Josh Allen. Yeah, this is an offense that we, you know, get the ball in the playmakers' hands, let them do work. Boutte is, is at his best uh, yards after catch wise. Um, there's some connections there between uh, the offensive staff for the Giants and with LSU. So there's yep, some the overlap point. there yeah. uh, to keep an eye on. So that, that one would make a lot of sense for me. The one where I was just going through it, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, I can definitely see this as a fit is Noah Sewell going to the Patriots. Like, you, you think of all the linebackers that they've had in the past, like, Immediate plug-and-play, like Dante Hightower role for for Noah Sewell. I think he can do a lot of those same things where it's like, hey, early downs, run downs, he's playing as a stacked player, and then it's uh, it's third down, you get into your sub package, and he's going to come down and do some rush stuff and uh, allow you to be versatile with your stunt package and all of that. I think that that's where Noah Sewell can step in and have an immediate impact right away. Now, let's fast forward over to the Eagles' second selection, number 30 overall. It's Texas running back B. John Robinson. We talked about this earlier uh, with Mike Renner, but here's the uh, the blurb from Oliver. Luxury picks don't come much more luxurious or frankly terrifying than pairing B. John Robinson with Jalen Hurts in the Eagles' backfield. The Texas running back has legitimate first-round talent with his ability to run the rock both with elusiveness and physicality. He's an elite receiving talent who runs routes like a wide receiver and has the hands to match. So, Ben, uh, luxury pick, quote-unquote, uh, is going to be a popular term uh, when it comes to Eagles in uh, mock drafts these days. I think that we're going to get used to that. Yeah, I think Bijan has been a popular choice there. I think the depth behind, you know, the Gainwells and Miles Sanders can certainly uh, be projected forward and you can kind of speculate a need there. But weighing the running back group, I think Bijan's going to be right in there with Jameer Gibbs and maybe even a 
Sean Tucker or Deuce Vaughn type or Zach Charbonnet, Charbonnet when yep. it's all said and done. Um, I think Bijan's going to be flirting right there at the end of the first round. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, for one of these contending teams, you know, somebody that made the championship game or maybe appeared in the Super Bowl, right. Bijan Robinson might be given a, a really good team extra juice heading into 2023. Just a scary proposition to see a player like that, not only here in the Philadelphia Eagles, but maybe another just contending quality team. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how many, if any, of these running backs do end up going in the first round, um, you know, just because of the, the history, the most recent history at the position that early in the draft. Uh, real quick, the four players that went right around this area, the three that went before Bijan Robinson. At number 27, the Tampa Bay Bucks took uh, our guy, Ben, the corner from Utah, Clark Phillips, the third at number 28 the green bay packers selecting pass rusher jared verse from florida state a really fast start for verse then he got banged up so interested to see what he looks like in the second half at 29 the kansas city chiefs taking tyree wilson the pass rusher from texas tech we talked about him in the last segment with mike and then the one player that went after the eagles here in this first round that's buffalo taking linebacker trenton simpson from clemson so ben of those four picks which one is the biggest surprise for you Probably be Jared Verse. Yeah, uh, that's Florida, an interesting one. Florida huh? State pass rusher to the Green Bay Packers, having a really nice season, but uh, just a little bit quiet right now as far as buzz and uh, projecting to the NFL. But just wondering who's going to win the transfer trophy this year. You know, last year we had Jamison Williams go pretty high. Yep. Uh, Jermaine Johnson went to the Jets. Jameer Gibbs, I feel like Alabama running back, is kind of wearing the crown right now. But don't forget about Jared Verse. There's always some defensive prospects. Transfer from Albany, having a really strong season. He's a no-nonsense power rusher with NFL body and traits right now. Haven't seen a whole lot of first-round mocks with his name in there, so uh, that was kind of the reasoning for the surprise, but I think he's an NFL player all day long and a top-50 player when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think the the one for me that, that stood out was the one that was right after that, and that was Tyree Wilson going to the Chiefs. You know, <clears throat> Mike made the, he petitioned why he felt Tyree Wilson could be a surprise in the top 20, top 25, and I think that's all true in terms of like the height, weight, speed profile, like the guy that has just tools and the length and the wingspan that Tyree Wilson has, but you know one team that does not give a hoot about size? <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs have like one of the smallest teams in the NFL. You look around there, they are full of outliers. They do not draft for height, weight, speed, and they they just took Carl Aftis in the first round uh, last year. So now, obviously, they can keep adding to that defensive line. I just don't know that Tyree Wilson is necessarily a player that would fit exactly what they go for. Yeah, potentially not. But I actually kind of like that. And I think some Chiefs fans and maybe NFL fans would think, oh, well, Chris Jones, and you just mentioned the pass rusher. Um, and then they have, you know, Derek Nottie and some other players. They still sprinkle in Tershawn Wharton and Kalen yeah. Saunders. And they like a lot of different body types up there. So Tyree Wilson right now may be viewed five different ways from five different teams. Yep. But that's the type of piece that I could just see the Chiefs really loving and contributing some uh, some roll snaps you know, around those stud players like Chris Jones and uh, uh, Frank Clark off the edge. Real quickly, Buffalo, it seems like always in every mock draft, it's either a safety or a linebacker. How come we never see offensive linemen uh, to the Bills? Like, I just, we, you and I have had these conversations. Like, It feels like watching the NFL this year, so many good offenses are hampered by offensive line play, and the Bills have been able to get through that, but we've seen other that have not been able to. If you're if you're the Bills, and look, you're, you're you can't just like plot this out in uh, in October, but. I'd be looking and saying, like, we don't want that to be us. We don't want to go into a season with high hopes and our offensive line completely falls apart. You need to keep replenishing that area. To me, like, that's one of the undertold stories right now around the NFL is that you look at what the Eagles have done. 
this offensive line, yeah, there have been injuries, and they just keep on chucking. They keep on going. Uh, the fact that, that this depth is so good here in Philadelphia, a huge, huge strength. No question. And I think for every team that made aggressive strides like the Bengals and saying, hey, I know we made the Super Bowl, but we have to fix this old line, replace four out of the five starters, and they're figuring things out. They made aggressive moves. You have teams like the Colts and the Rams that said, we're okay. And this Rams, you know, vaunted, you know, F the draft picks thing gets patted on the back around May and June. We're sitting here in August and they're making calls desperately to find guys off the street. They yeah. have no young players on that roster to yep. work into the rotation. They said Joe Nopum at left tackle. Yeah, let's do it. Well, the past three weeks in a row, they got tore through on that offensive line. The Cowboys whooped them last week, and suddenly the Super Bowl winning Rams, Matthew Stafford, is on his back and doesn't look like he's going to make it through the season. Same with that Colts team. So we're going with Matt Pryor out there, trying to work in Bernard Raymond. Just poor plans and development and depth on the offensive line. Buffalo Bills aren't too far off. Yeah. You know, and, and they're just very privileged to have a Josh Allen to get him out of a lot of trouble and just be an absolute horse back there, a moose at quarterback. That's an offensive line that can be upgraded as well. So these contending teams, don't let that offensive line doom you. And I think Green Bay went through a little bit of that, obviously, with Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins not being available to start the season, having to play a lot of not NFL quality offensive linemen, and you got off to a rough start in the season. So offensive line units, do not neglect the depth, do not neglect the youth, just do not neglect the attention they deserve yep. to make your offense run. Uh, and it's not even like, oh, it has to be a first-round pick. Like, you know, the Eagles selecting Cam Jurgens this spring, the Eagles selecting Landon, Landon Dickerson in the second round last spring. Like, you can continue to add quality assets. They don't need to be top 30 picks, but quality assets. Look, not all of them are going to hit, right? But if you keep adding to the offensive line uh, through the draft and finding ways to continue addressing that position, and as long as you're able to develop, you know, the, the depth is not going to be as big of a concern. And uh, you see these other teams just grasping for, for a life preserver uh, at that position. It's it's tough to watch. And I hear the keyboards of some Bills fans, you know, dialing up the comments right now. Yeah, they spent some good capital on Spencer Brown in the third round, and they've gone after Cody Fords early in the past, and they have been aggressive, but don't don't sleep on it. Just when you feel you good about it. Yeah. No question. Just because you spent some money on Saffold or Mitch Morse, suddenly don't neglect the interior O-line depth in the future of those positions. Yep. So it's a machine and a 365 process that never sleeps. All right. So just uh, a final question here, and we'll, we'll step with, stick with surprise because those are always uh, those are always fun discussions. Which in the top 20, which pick in the top 20 surprised you most from this mock draft from Oliver? You know, it's got to be Will Levis, Will Levis at number nine, at number nine to yep. the Detroit Lions. Um, I just don't see that level of prospect. And mm. I know we always have to kind of squeeze some rankings together with the quarterbacks. If you have a guy in the third round, you might as well just push him up to the first. Right. Yep. You know, that's kind of my lesson of Jordan Love. You know, I had a third round grade on him. If you have a third round grade on a quarterback, he's probably going in the first round. It's honestly, it's the same thing we've been saying of like, well, if a quarterback's good enough to go at like six or four, well, he's good enough to go at one, like at the end of the day. It's a weird philosophical kind of conundrum there. So, but just as we sit here in October, I don't see Will Levis as a first round quarterback. Mm. Does he have the tools and the traits to tickle someone's fancy and intrigue them enough? Sure. 
but I've learned my lesson here enough, and I just don't see it with Will Levis. Um, I root for him. I root for the future of the Detroit Lions. I hope they figure out what their plan is after Jared Goff or doubling down on him for all I care. Um, I just don't see that level of prospect right now from Will Levis. Uh, the other one for me, just kind of sticking out that position, was Hendon Hooker at number 18 to Seattle. Uh, obviously, look, G- Geno Smith's off to a good start. You can't necessarily count on that. You don't know if he's going to be their answer for the future. But, you know, Dane and I had this conversation on the pod uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, with Hendon Hooker. I mean, he's going to be a 25-year-old rookie. Um, you know, the, the play has been better this year, but still overall uh, inconsistent. Um, so him in the top 20, unless he, like, I mean, look, you you named him most a game this week. If he goes and he, like, goes on a tear against Alabama and leads an upset win uh, for the Vols against the, against the Tide, all right, like that's going to generate a lot of buzz, and you're going to start to hear this more. Um, but I still think that at this point, as we sit here in the middle of October, that that would be a surprise. And that's not to say that Hendon Hooker can't play, but just him in the top 20 would be a little bit of a surprise. For you me. know, in this quarterback class, I typically struggle to find those senior quarterbacks to fill out the all-star game rosters. Right. The, the Shrines, the Senior Bulls, and like, uh, who? There's really arguments to, for and against guys. really yeah. have to kind of stress to find that fifth, sixth quarterback yep. I really want to go see. This season, I have like 15 quarterbacks so many names. that I want to go down in those situations. And it's almost like there's going to be some odd men out. There might be some call-ups on Wednesday, Thursday with an injury or a sore shoulder just because there's so many quarterbacks middling in no man's land right yeah. now. I think they're just all over the place as far as who the guys are and who the rankings are. I bet teams are all over the place right now. And you can easily ruffle off. 10 quarterbacks, you know, the Brennan Armstrongs, the Slovis, the Sam Hartmans, the Bo Nix, the Jaron Hall, yeah. you know, so many that names. are anywhere from second round picks to priority free agents. Yep. So I think down the stretch of their season is going to be really important, particularly that all-star game window where teams are going to say, you know what, we don't really have a clear evaluation on them. Let's dive in further. Let's get our hands on them. Let's talk to them. Let's work with them up close and maybe try to figure out a more, you know, determined evaluation on a player. I just have a lot of quarterbacks that I kind of like and I kind of have questions about. I don't have anything definitive. Uh, that's what, I mean, look, the the, <clears throat> the all-star game process is so important for the quarterback position, uh, especially, you know, when you get NFL coaches involved. And so that's an opportunity for 12 to 16 of those guys. That's a lot of names, 12 to 16 senior like, quarterbacks. And it's like, yeah, you know, uh, Jurevic at Boston College yeah. and Sean Clifford at Penn State and guys that have just played so much football and, you know, the Aiden O'Connells of the world. Yeah. And, you know, just so many quarterbacks that have a lot of bodies of work, a lot of experience. But, you know, those fifth, six-year quarterbacks typically aren't coveted by the NFL. They want right. the young guys with the high-end traits and, you know, that high-end ability. Um, obviously, the C.J. Strouds and you know uh, Bryce Youngs are going to dominate the conversation. But once they go in the top five, who else are we talking about, and where are they going? That's it. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch here uh, in the coming months. Well, Ben, uh, good stuff as always. We will talk to you next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, presented by Life Brand. Now, let's welcome in my buddy Ross Tucker. It's time for Pick Six. Now it's time for Pick Six. All right, well, excited to welcome back to the show my friend Ross Tucker, who is here for Pick 6. And Ross, uh, kind of went back and forth last week, man. You you got the pick you got a two-pointer. TCU getting that win over Kansas. If only Jalen Daniels had not gotten hurt in the first half, I would have liked my chances a little bit better in that one. But uh, I came bouncing back here with a couple of three-point wins. Um, you were able to, to get the uh, sneak by on the over-under. You had 550 yards, uh, the under for Tennessee against LSU. They ended up with 505. So you started off hot. You got three points. 
but I chipped away. Uh, my either or, DTR, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the quarterback from UCLA, four passing touchdowns against Utah. Cam Rising, the Utes quarterback, zero. So I got the win in that one. And then the, the, the high-low, and this was just comical, man. Uh, we talked about that Iowa-Illinois game last week. We, what was the, who, which was going to be the higher number? Iowa's total points in the day or Iowa linebacker Jack Campbell tackles. Well, Campbell doubled the total, more than doubled the total. 13 total tackles. Iowa just six points against the Illini. Uh, both of our upset picks lost by two touchdowns. So no big wins for us uh, either way. So uh, at the end of the day, you picked up one point on me. I still have an eight-point lead on you as we sit here going into week seven. I can't believe that the Iowa points versus Campbell tackles wasn't even close in favor of the Campbell tackles. (laughs) I mean, that is embarrassing. If nothing else, we know that I was very consistent. If there's anything else, you got to know, like anytime uh, you are trying to, you know, hope for the Iowa offense to put up points, you, you, you got to go the other way. You have to go the opposite direction. Um, with that said, dude, we've got an awesome slate of games here this week. I know you guys are talking about it over on the college draft podcast as well. Just an awesome slate of college football action here starting uh, on Friday night, but we're going to focus on the Saturday games Bunch of bunch of ranked versus ranked, and we'll we'll go with Oklahoma TCU. Uh, T, you you picked TCU last week. Uh, they've got Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders playing well for the Cowboys. Who do you like here in this one in the Big Twelve? You know what? I'm going Oklahoma State. Nice. Uh, that was a big win for TCU, and I think I just think that's a lot to ask. You know, I, I think that they're kind of poised for an emotional letdown. I know they're playing at home. I know Oklahoma State's on the road, but I like what I've seen from Oklahoma State this year. I'm going to take Oklahoma State on the road. I don't feel great about it, especially I feel like I'm ditching TCU after they came through for me last week. But it's just hard for college football teams to win big games back-to-back weeks. It just is. Well, look, if you're going to ditch TCU, I'm just going to, I'm going to wave them over say, hey, come over to this side uh, of the ledger. I will take TCU here. Uh, Quentin Johnson, the stud receiver, we broke him down earlier this week with Dane Brugler and what he did. He got his game ball of the week. This is a first-round pick receiver all day, it seems, uh, at this point as in, this, in the process. But you look at TCU, this offense, but certainly on the defense as well, they've got the, the firepower to be able to slow down this Oklahoma State offense. So uh, give me the Horn Frogs here in this one over the Cowpokes. Uh, Let's go now to the Pac-12. Another big one here, Ross. USC and Utah. Who do you like here in this one out west? This is another tough one. This is an awesome weekend of college football. This is a great game. I'm going Utah. Uh, I'm going Utah to bounce back. I'm going Utah at home. I just think that Cam Rising and the Utes pull this off. It feels like USC never wins at Utah. I have exactly no stats to back that up (laughs) whatsoever. That's just my observation over the years. I'll go ahead and I'll take the Utes. Dude, this is going to be a big swing week for us because I'm going to go USC here. I like Lincoln Riley, what they're doing offensively. Uh, you, Kayla Williams and Jordan Addison and, and the rest of that. They got a bunch of other really young receivers on that team that are putting up big numbers. They're finding ways to be able to run the football. Uh, give me USC here and, and kind of pounce uh, on the Utes who are still smarting from that loss against UCLA a week ago. Uh, give me USC. Let's now go to our over-under, and we're going to go to the SEC here. Another ranked first ranked. Kentucky, Mississippi State, we're going to focus in on the Kentucky running back, Chris Rodriguez. He's back now over the last couple of weeks, has uh, had a couple of nice outings coming off the suspension to start the season. Uh, So Rodriguez, over under, 
99 and a half rushing yards here going up against Mike Leach in Mississippi State? Going to go under. Um, listen, it's not easy to rush for over 100 yards. Yep. I know they're going to lean on him, and I know Kentucky's kind of smartened a little bit. And Mississippi State's playing well. Mississippi State deserves some credit. They're playing well right now. I'll go under on Rodriguez in this game. So the only thing that has me a little bit worried about the under, or sorry, the only thing that has me worried about the over, I should say, is that uh, if this becomes like a shootout where now all of a sudden uh, they're going to put the ball into Will Levis's hands and we're going to throw, throw, throw. Um, I kind of think Kentucky will want to play ball control here, though. Uh, give me give me Chris Rodriguez's over here. I think he ran for like a 160 last week. Uh, I don't know if he's going to reach that number, but let's go uh, the over here on 99 and a half. I think he'll reach, reach triple digits here in this, uh, this game against Mississippi State. So, guys, uh, we are now three games in. Ross and I, we are on the uh, the opposite side on all three. We'll see if we can keep this rolling here. This is a big one, Ross. Big Ten, Michigan, and Penn State. And we're going to focus here on the two running backs. True freshman running back, Penn State, uh, Nick Singleton has been awesome. Uh, huge, huge part of their success so far this season. And then you look at junior running back, Blake Corm from Michigan, also one of the, the spark plugs of that offense. Who runs for more yards in this game, the upperclassman Corum or the true freshman Singleton? Well, Singleton was at my high school's game on Saturday back in Reading and why I'm missing. So if he breathed in enough of that air in why I'm missing and just touched the grass, boy, he's got a really good chance. But Corum has been the man. You know, Penn State's rotating three running backs still. Kayvon Lee, Katron Allen, and Singleton. Singleton has no shot at this. Unless he breaks a long one, which he has done. Yep. Hard to do against Michigan. Hard to break a long one against Michigan. I'll take Corum. He's been a stud. Yeah, I'm going to go Corum. I was saying, I was trying to see if I could sucker you in. I was trying to find a good way to talk about this game. I didn't want to go straight pick him because I thought, uh, you know, you, you would follow your head and you'd go with Michigan here. So I tried to find a good number and I wasn't sure. And I was like, you know what? I, I know he likes Singleton. Maybe he'll take Singleton here in a head-to-head against Corum. But I, I will side with you. I think Corum uh, more likely to run for more yards in this game. Uh, let's go now to our high-low. What number is higher? This one's a fun one, too. Looking at the, at the SEC... This is a big one, Alabama, Tennessee. A bunch of great games here this week, man. Uh, what is the higher number? Total touchdowns, that's passing and running, from the two quarterbacks in this game, Bryce Young and Hendon Hooker, or Alabama's margin of victory over Utah? So we'll see. Uh, you know, you figure this could, in terms of total touchdowns, this could be anywhere from, you know, 5 to 10, 11, or is there, are you thinking the, the, uh, the Crimson Tide rolls a little bit heavier than that? Yeah, I'm going to go total touchdowns um, because I do think that there will be a decent amount of touchdowns scored in this game. This was a great number, though, Fran, because in my head I was thinking maybe six or seven touchdowns. I'm thinking six or seven points. Yeah. So this was a good one. I'll go with the total touchdowns just because Tennessee could get frisky in this one. Alabama didn't look great against A&M. So I, you know, Tennessee, it's in Knoxville game day. I'll go with the total touchdowns with the chance that Hendon Hooker pulls off the upset. Yeah, like you said, they didn't look great last week, Alabama, but one of those big reasons why... No Bryce Young uh, in the lineup. I kind of and I, I like Tennessee. Uh, I picked the over for them on the on the total yards against uh, LSU last week for a reason. But I think Alabama the week after a, a nail biting win, I think they come back and they win this one decisively. Give me the uh, the Alabama margin of victory here in this one, dude. We went opposite on four of our five picks uh, to start this one off. Uh, let's now go to our upset special. Uh, not a ton of like 
huge, uh, you know, huge spreads here this week in college football, Ross. But uh, interesting to kind of get your thoughts on what you think is the most likely big upset of the weekend. You know, there were several that intrigued me this week, actually. Nebraska, yeah, Old Dominion. But I'm going to end up going with the Jim Mora crew. Oh, I'm I thought with about UConn. this one. Nice, yeah. UConn over Ball State. UConn's, what, they've won three games, I think? Yeah. They've won a couple in a row. They're feeling good about themselves. They think they're good. Ball State's just an average MAC team. I'm going... Uh, I'm going with Ball State. I mean, I'm going UConn over Ball State. Dude, I, I had that written down as mine. I'm not going to go the same one as you just because uh, I, I hope you get it and make this battle a little bit closer. Um, uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to pivot here. I picked against James Madison last week. I'm not going to do it again. Um, yeah, congrats. They're, they're ranked, by the way. How, how awesome is that, man? First year at FBS level, they're, they're ranked by it's week incredible. seven. Uh, it's absolutely awesome. incredible. And it just speaks to the fact that the FCS and FBS are not as different as people think. Like North Dakota State and JMU are yes. good, good. Like they're, they're top 50 programs regardless. Yeah, uh, I would agree uh, with that statement. As I continue to filibuster while I try to pick my backup selection here, uh, I am going to go, dude, let's go with the Zips. Akron against Central Michigan. Uh, I have no, I, I, I have no substance behind this selection, but I just know that Akron was always a pain in the butt, and I never liked going. When I was working at Temple, I used to hate playing Central Michigan, especially going there uh, to to uh, uh, to the to the Chippewa Stadium. It was always a great atmosphere, um, but the CMU was always really good. Obviously, they had Antonio Brown, Dan Lefevre uh, was always a really good player. Uh, give me Akron here uh, in this one to get the upset over CMU. Uh, so we'll see if they're able to come through for me, Ross. Uh, great stuff as always. We'll see how we do, man. This is going to be a huge swing week. We'll see if you can make this one closer next week on Pick 6. Sounds good, man. Hopefully. I just need an upset to come through. Let's go UConn. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Great stuff there from Ross Tucker. Let's now wrap the show up with our draft mailbag as we have a question from our Apple podcast page. Maddie G28 left a five-star review saying, hey, Fran, can't give you enough love for keeping this podcast A-plus in every single way. I love the attention you guys bring to Antonio Johnson and to Trey Dean. Those would be two of my favorite secondary players for the Eagles to take. Another is the tackle from Maryland, Jalen Duncan. I love his physical traits and his athleticism. A guy that could maybe learn behind Elaine Johnson. Not much of a trench guy, but it seems like he at times can set blocks too high and at times become unbalanced. Do you see his weaknesses as easily coachable issues or more trends to the kind of player you're getting? So, uh, Matt, it's a good question. I think when you look at uh, Jalen Duncan, first off, um, I don't know. I mean, there are some mock drafts that have him in, like, the top 10. I think that's a, a little rich uh, for me. I haven't watched this season, so I don't know if he's taken, like, a huge, huge jump uh, in his play. He was my favorite senior tackle coming into the season, but, again, like, top 10, I didn't quite see that level of player, that level of prospect. But I think when you look at Jalen Duncan, he is a rock-solid starter across the board right away. I do think that he's got uh, that kind of floor to step in and be effective. He's six five and a half. He's right around 300 pounds. He's got decent length. He's not like the uh, uh, the, the longest offensive tackle, but I, that to me, like that's fine. I think that there are some hand things that need to get cleaned up, and I do think that that stuff is coachable. I thought from his trait stuff, you know, in terms of his athleticism, his foot quickness, I thought his anchor strength was fine. I thought he had enough power uh, to be able to displace defenders in the run game. That's the stuff that's a little bit harder to – 
coach up and improves. I don't think that uh, any of that was a huge red flag. To me, the biggest thing was, you know, the hand usage overall. He was kind of like a heavy two-handed puncher. That could be, that just takes a little bit of time uh, to coach out of a guy to be able to use independent hands in pass protection. Uh, only has played left tackle over the course of his career. So uh, you worry about the position versatility. Um, but this is a guy that didn't start playing football until he was 14 years old. So uh, he's only been playing for a handful of years, has only been on the offensive line for a couple of those years. So I think when you look overall at his skill set, plenty to work with, work with, plenty to work towards in terms of kind of reaching that ceiling. I did view him as kind of a high floor starter uh, in the NFL, even though the ceiling might not quite be there. But uh, I do think that you've got uh, plenty to work with. And a, a lot of the stuff that I saw as issues, yes, were, were definitely, I felt, were coachable. But that's a, an umbrella term in that you don't know, the guy's got to take coaching as well. And I don't know much about Jalen uh, off the field to say like, oh yeah, he's really coachable. He'll definitely reach whatever ceiling he's got. So uh, Matty G, really appreciate the question. Appreciate the five-star review. Again, if any of you ever have a question about a specific prospect like this, or if you've got a mock draft that you've filled out on any of the mock draft simulators that are out there, the Draft Network obviously has a great one. A lot of websites have great mock draft simulators now. You can go out, fill in a mock draft, send it in. We'll break it down. If you've got rankings that you want us to sort through. Again, anything you want, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave it there in the comment box. We will get to it in an upcoming episode. That said, we'll be back uh, early next week to break down everything we see this weekend in college football right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.